Hello, one and all, and welcome to season three, episode forty-nine of Bad Voltage. How uh, how's everyone doing? How are you guys doing? Doing all right? I'm, I'm too hot. You're too. Yeah. Well, we've got Stuart Ian Langridge. <laughs> Theme right from last show to the show. Nothing has changed. I was I was saying to John, it's not even actually hot. You know, a couple of weeks ago there was um, forty-one degree temperatures, and people going, "Yeah, it's the hottest it's ever been." It's not like that at all. It's like twenty-two. I'm just whiny. <laughs> I'm not used to it. <laughs> well, we've got Stuart in Langridge, who's in Birmingham, and we've also got Jeremy Geraldine Garcia. Geraldine, yeah, look at you, look at you two idiots looking surprised, right? <laughs> I did some research on this one. Geraldine is a variant of the word Jer- of the name Jeremiah in use since the Middle Ages. Ah, Geraldine, yeah, Geraldine, Geraldine Garcia. Can't tell if you're trolling or if you actually looked this up. It's like fifty-fifty. Um, no, I looked it up. I found a website. I found a website called AnswerToAll.com. Uh, which keeps telling me that I need to upgrade Flash. So I'm not sure how important. I don't even have Flash installed. So, uh, all right. So anyway. This we- this website here says the baby girl named Geraldine is pronounced J-H-E-H-E-R-A-H-L-I-H-I-H-N, which I don't think it is at all. That is <laughs> a substantial <laughs> number of H's. <laughs> Yes. So we're going to do a whole bunch of news today. Um, and, uh, I think we're going to kick off with some, um, some, uh, incredible science news in the, uh, in, in the realm of astronomy, right? Do you want to begin, Mr. Langridge? Or oh, Jeremy? I, yeah. Or I mean, I, this, 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 this came as a new one to me, but I thought it was interesting. Now, what was it exactly? So a, a French scientist has just apologized after tweeting a photo of a slice of chorizo, claiming it was an image from a distant star taken by the James Webb Space Telescope. And what's amazing about this is it wasn't some rando. It was uh, Etienne Klein, a celebrated physicist and director at France's Alternative Energies and Atomic Energy Commission. So it was believable when he did it. Um, <laughs> Eck, Eck had not seen this. this was, is- it was amazing to see his face as he looked at the Mars sausage. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I really wish I hadn't looked at it until um, uh, until we did the show, so I did it live. Because, first of all, yeah, as you say, this guy is a legit guy. So he's now like some kind of trolling megastar for having done this. <laughs> I don't know what happens now. He pops up tomorrow and goes, guess what? We've worked out a way to generate all the electricity we ever need from water or something. No one's going to believe in it. He's like, no, no, it's real this time. <laughs> Permanently blotting his copybook. But the secondly, best part was one of the responses was, wow, look at that level of detail. <laughs> <laughs> Having looked at this picture, it's just obviously a piece of chorizo. <laughs> oh, it is... It is such a perfect news story. And like you said, Jeremy, it's because he's like a legitimate dude. Yes. It's, it, yeah. This is oh, the news story just, we all needed in, in 2022. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did. Man, <laughs> his tweet said, this level of detail, a new world is unveiled every day. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Rick Astley should go around his house and pray near his front door. <laughs> this is excellent. <laughs> ah, so perfect. Yeah. I was, What's next? I was very impressed with that. Um, well, did you see the Floppatron? Oh, the Floppatron. <laughs> 3.0. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, uh, this is a, a Jono thing to be excited by. But th- for people who haven't seen it, a long time ago, a, bu- uh, a guy 
got together a bunch of old floppy drives and wrote a little bit of control software to drive the motors so they could play a tune. And that was quite cool. And it did a, um, uh, you know, a few YouTube videos and people went, great. That was entertaining. What I didn't realize is he's been working on this for years and it's massive. Yeah. There are now 512 floppy drives and four flatbed scanners and 16 hard drives. And it's just, it's the software on it. Um, people who remember soundtracker <clears throat> software on the Amiga, things like, um, yeah, you know, uh, Octomed or whatever. Um, the so- the control software looks like that, and this thing's nuts, right? <laughs> it goes on yeah. for ages, and and it does kind of seem like I don't know what you call it, second system effect. It's like I can't believe you're still doing this. This is your life now. You're the Floppertron guy. <laughs> yeah, and just to be clear, if because some people might be a bit confused about what we're talking about here, the way it it. it constructs this orchestra is from the sounds of the motors running inside of the like inside of the floppy di- it's not like a, a, a floppy disk drives had a secret you know speaker inside of them <laughs> so it's fi- you know so it's figured out how to move the motor it, it's basically map he, he wrote a piece of software that where he could take midi files and then feed the midi into he basically wrote a midi interface so we figured out, you know, an A in a particular octave means that he's got to rotate the floppy drive at a certain speed. It's, it is an incredible amount of work for a fairly pointless outcome. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it's, it's, pr- I love people who do this. Like this guy must have spent hours, days, months on this. And it's, it's very cool indeed. The video that he made as well is, it's pretty cool. Like it, it shows everything working, how he did it. And like, yeah. Go check it out. It's it's an art. I had not seen I, I mean this. That, I mean that uh, legitimately. It's a piece of art, like something you it really is put yeah. into a museum or something. It's a real labor of love too. Like you say, it must have taken him. Well, he has been working on it for years. It's like, do you remember that? I can't remember what it was called. The machine with all the marbles in it, and the guy turned a big crank handle, and so this completely manual, huge machine made out of. Um, cogs and things with loads and loads of marbles in and then he turned a big crank handle to get it all running and the marbles all uh went up in channels and then fell down onto basically a glockenspiel at the bottom and there were other and there were other marbles that fell down onto things like drums so it played a tune and everything and that must again it's an incredible feat of engineering and you're like why are you not building i don't know submarines or something rather than this (laughs) You know, I, you know, one of the things I quite like about this is I remember when I was like 16 and I was at this mental battle going on in my head about whether I wanted to be a musician or want, whether I wanted to work in technology. And I kept saying to myself, oh, well, you know, the more responsible route to go down is is, um, is tech and all the rest of it. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> and you also decided you didn't want to be as poor as church mouse. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> And uh, I think it, it can be easy to kind of get into a mindset of, I know a lot of people who've done this, and I used to be guilty of this, not so much now, of thinking, oh, if I do something, it's got to be productive in some way. There's got to be something meaningful. And what I love about this guy making this Floppertron thing is, it, like you said, it's, it's art. And art doesn't have to have any actual purpose. It just has to exist. And I, I love the fact that he did that. And it's like the the guy who built the band out of robots, where all the robots play the music. I love people who just make cool stuff. What guy who built a band where robots play the music? 
Oh, you hadn't seen that? No. <laughs> no. I don't know about fans. this now. <laughs> so, so this show is not actually news. It's just cool stuff we've seen on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Oh, here it is. Compressor head. Okay. I'm not going to play this video because I'm not sure if it's going to mess up my recording. <laughs> Compre- Compressor head playing the Ace of Spades. Uh, like the Motorhead song? Yeah. Nice. Okay. <laughs> uh, and there's, yeah, there's punk. Hang on. I, yeah, I, this, I'm, I'm yeah, going to make a note of this um, so I can link to oh, it man. in the show notes. That apparently, in 2015, there was an article on Make Magazine saying that there was five bands. Yeah, there's Compressor Head, The Trons, Zed Machines. Oh, my God. Apparently, there's a lot of robot bands. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and and these is- are um, robots like, um, what was the Honda robot that could walk about the place? Asino. Yeah. This is robots like yeah. that. This is not, you know, a servo wired up to a kick drum, and then you claim it's a robot. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's a lot of that. Oh, okay. Um, you know, I love these, like, you know, maybe I'm, today I was planning on listening to my favorite metal band with a parrot as the singer, <laughs> Hate Beak. Um, <laughs> I, I don't even know whether you've made that up. No, 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 that's no, it's true. for sure real. Yeah. Oh, okay. There's a band, there's a band called Hate Beak and, uh, <laughs> not Hate Breed. So they've got a parrot as a singer. I'm, they've got a. They've got a song both called. Of the, you knew about this. I'm, like, I'm either the, the, got last, a, the last one to get into hate. Beak. There's a. There's a song called "The Thing That Should Not Be." <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this Hellbent is they've got another song of called, puns coming up. I they've got another song called "Hellbent for Feathers." <laughs> <laughs> there was a. Th- I think I actually saw it from you, John. There was a thing. This is years ago now, and it was like one of them had a dog as a lead singer. There was Hate Beak. Yeah, I was, it was trying a whole to think- like Animals of Metal or something was the name of the post. Yeah, I was trying to think of the same one that like a like a pit bull or something is the yeah. same. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, we need to dig all these things. So, suggestions for you, people listening to this. We would like to hear about weird musical things. So, send, yes. us, send us a tweet or an email or something. And, uh, yeah. We'll collect them all in a future uh, future version of the show. And then we'll just do a whole show, which is like, now listen to this band by someone who lives in a bottle or something. I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I thought that. Can I uh, continue the theme of kind of mad, mad shit? Yep. Um, so, uh, for many years now, um, on Bad Voltage and then prior to Bad Voltage on various other podcasts, we've been talking about people running Doom on pretty much anything. Yes. And, um, uh, it turns out that, uh, there's a, a, a software engineer called Nikola Rakian who has now ported doom to a 15 dollar ikea smart lamp <laughs> does it have a screen uh from what i can tell um it looks like he basically it looks like it's using the processor on the on the on the lamp uh, okay. it says here this is on this is on pcmag.com okay um uh it seems to build it over a weekend it's a downsized version of Doom, requires less RAM. The chip from, I- from the IKEA lamp has enough processing power to play the game at 35 frames per second. So better than most video games today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's really good. Over a cheap 160 by 128 pixel display. So not exactly 4K. Um, didn't have to add a new CPU. Use the microcontroller and device. Yeah, very impressive. Um, so it says it features an ARM-based Cortex M33 processor with 96 plus 12 kilobytes of RAM, just enough to play the f- run the first level of Doom. What in a lamp? 
in a lamp. I don't. Th- I don't think the Sharp's arrows was that good. <laughs> yeah, the result. Of- However, his resulting creation did need some additional hardware. Ah, uh, come on, well, PCMag.com. Uh, well, in that case, I will go one better than that. Uh, there's a guy called K G S W S. I don't know whether you meant to spell it out or whether you- it's word, <laughs> right? Who managed to port Doom to Doom. With no additional hardware required. So, what? you play the game of Doom, and then you load a particular level, and then one of the textures on one of the walls becomes a game of Doom, which you can you then play. You are a playable game of Doom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Straight up playable game of Doom. It's amazing. All right, this might be the maddest of mad <laughs> shit that I've heard in a while. I was terribly impressed. It's, I mean, so, again, this is artwork stuff right this is not actually the, the yeah. whole idea of porting doom to run on literally everything is just a fun thing to do and th- and this is i thought was a really really good example yeah you you literally you start again this is a dos version of doom and then you load a particular i think they're called wad files uh these the le- the custom yeah. levels and then yeah like doom appears on a wall and then you can control the guy in doom <laughs> I'd like to tell a little story, take a slight detour here, about oh, something that uh, Mr. Stuart Ian Langridge and I uh, embarked on many years ago in Dallas uh, that kind of relates to this. Um, so uh, around the time, we were both working at Canonical, and Mark Shuttleworth, the founder of Ubuntu, was going through a white white trousers phase. Um, <laughs> and uh, he w- would go on stage with these very tight BG-style white trousers, and we tried to bribe the guy who ran all of the AV uh, at, at, at the Ubuntu Developer Summit, James Troop, to play Saturday Night Fever by by the BGs <laughs> when he came on stage. Um, James Troop, knowing full well the implications of that action, <laughs> politely declined our. It, it actually didn't politely decline our. He told us to fuck right off. So. We thought it would be hilarious because we were uh, working on Jokosha at the time, this audio editor, and GStreamer, which was the underlying audio engine in, in Jokosha, um, had, oh, I forget what it was called. It was, oh, Network Syncs. Yeah. Had this thing called Network Syncs, where you can play um, a song or an audio file on, or a video on with one instance of, of GStreamer, and it would perfectly sync it with another instance. So Mr. Langridge and I, Somewhat inebriated in the bar in Dallas in this horrible hotel one night. Well, actually, it was quite a nice hotel. Um, <laughs> thought it would be funny to make a GStreamer app where it will play Saturday Night F- Fever and sync up, and everybody plays it on their laptops. It will play it through everybody's laptop speakers <laughs> at the same time. Do you remember? We spent like a whole day working on it and couldn't get it working. Wasn't it called Rufflecopter? It was. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We were debating whether we called it Lolliscates or Rufflecopter, and we came up with Rufflecopter. Yeah, it was called Rufflecopter. I remember that. Yeah. I, I forgot that was Dallas. I, you started this, I'm like, which one of the stories is this going to be? And I, I, I forgot that was Dallas. I remember doing it. But I told you where we were geographically when we did it. But yeah. <laughs> and everybody, when we told them this idea about them playing it, they were like, yeah, yeah, I'll play it. I'll play it. I'll play Saturday Night Fever. And everybody would chicken out. Yeah. Mark would have thought it was hilarious. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the noise of doubt. <laughs> that is, in fact, Actually, the noise of doubt. That 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 would have yeah that would have that's by the way that's the song that's the show title the noise of doubt the noise of doubt I'll make um, you a note <laughs> uh, that, that would have been a bit of a coin 
coin flip, to be fair. <laughs> 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 anyway. All right. Yeah, so what so, what's uh what's next what's next? Do we have any actual news? <laughs> oh, oh well yeah. um one thing I wanted to ask about um beforehand is uh you were scale. We were. Yes. How did it go? I think I think it went well. It was one of the last conferences I believe we attended in person pre COVID and now it was good it was good to be yeah. back. I um I remember flying back being slightly worried that they that they'd shut down flights and I'm like, okay, now I have to live in Pasadena, do I? <laughs> but um yeah. it was the last thing I think um I flew back here on the Thursday or whatever it was, um or Sunday or whichever day it was, and then lockdown kicked in here about a week later. Yeah, it was it was yeah. quite close. Uh one thing I yeah, will say yeah, that was a Vin- crazy thing. Vint Surf. Very funny guy. Was not expecting it. I was expecting him to be really like educational and interesting, but he was kind of also hilarious. The it was the closing keynote. It is on their YouTube channel. So if you weren't able to watch it, it's, it's definitely worth a watch if you are interested at all in the history of the internet. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was. Yeah. I mean, it's. It. it this scale was a different time of year. Like it's normally in what was it March. Late February, early March. Yeah, yeah, late February, February, March. So this is a bit different, and they, for various reasons, they 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 were back at a previous venue. Next year, it's going to be back in Pasadena, Um, but this was at the LAX airport uh, where it used to be, and then they moved it where we ate Carl's Junior for two days solid. Oh, yeah, I remember that. (laughs) I did go the entire time this time without eating one Carl's Junior. And yes, th- and this yeah. was the correct decision by a long way. But yeah, no, it, yes. it, it, it was it was a good time. Wasn't it? it looked like it was cool for what I saw. It was yeah. What's cool? What I love about scale is you know, like you get the big kind of more commercial open source events like the Open Source Summit and KubeCon and places like that. And there's not many of the original like hobbyist cons around. And uh, and scale is that, and it's still going, and it's it's so much fun. And like that, just walking into the exhibition that Jeremy and I were talking about, just walking into the exhibition area, it feels like 10 years ago in a good way. Like it brings back lots of nostalgic memories. Like, cause there's the KDE booth and there's, you know, you don't see a lot of those booths at places like the Open Source Summit and KubeCon and places like that, you know, but you see all these projects actually exhibiting, which is really cool. Yeah. A lot, it does feel like a community thing in a way that it does. Yeah. A lot of places don't. They feel much more corporate these days and scale yeah. does not feel like that. Yeah. And they've got like, you know, Alan will be like, "Well, we are, we are, we we companies come and they, you know, there's there is definitely a lot of that, yeah." But it's like you said, it's it's very community focused, and I think that's what people love about it. And it was just nice to see so many friends again. So uh, we had a great time. Excellent. That's cool. Didn't feel particularly great the first two to three days getting back. <laughs> <laughs> I look I look forward to a, so. a bad voltage live again in the future. Yes. Yeah, well, next year is it? Next year is the twentieth anniversary of scale. Wow, really? Yeah, the, so, I mean, this was scale nineteen. Yeah, so uh, yeah, we should. Have you been to all of them? No, no. We, I think we met Jeremy. Was it the third one? It's the third or the fourth? Three or one? four? I yeah, I don't one. recall. I, it's been six, I, I, I sixteen or seventeen. For almost yes. ever, but I wasn't yeah. sure it started. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, next year definitely bad voltage life. Yeah, no, that sounds cool. All right. Um, uh, right so what, I have, what else have we got? I, I have a slightly more serious one, which is almost a question right. uh, that I have for you, really. I don't think this is enough to be a whole show, but it's the sort of thing that could be. Um, so, 
there was this guy called Marcus Hutchins, who's the guy who, do you remember the WannaCry ransomware and he registered a domain which killed it off, right? And then yes. it turned out that he was a guy who'd written worms in the past and he got busted for it. Um, so Google does this thing in the search engine where you get, I think they call it instant answers or something like that. Um, where, uh, oh, SERP, search engine results pages. So you get a little list of questions which you can expand, right? And it, it picks those up with AI. It attempts to identify, uh, facts and questions for them and then inserts them into relevant searches. But there's a little cottage industry in finding ones where it's got it wrong. Right. And um, because these things are being picked up by AI, quite often, if you actually look at these questions, it's misinterpreted the text or whatever. And for a lot of things, it doesn't really matter. But one of the things that Hutchins complained about is when you Google for his name, one of the questions was, um, who developed the WannaCry malware? And then blah, blah, Marcus Hutchins. And he's like, I didn't, uh, right? <laughs> and, and he complained that that was removed. <clears throat> and it's the sort of thing you could imagine being misinterpreted by uh, AI that reads stuff. But what I think is interesting about this, and this harks back to a couple of conversations we've had in the past about things like AI. We talked about um, that thing that generates copy text for you. And, oh, yeah. And we talked copy, about things yeah. like the yeah. right to be forgotten and how long stuff persists online and so on. And so my question is, if your AI goes away and picks up wrong, and this is borderline libelous, right? Who created this malware, this guy, that's, that could be really problematic, right? Who's liable for this? Who's, this is not even a legal question. Who's responsible for this? I mean, it's not like you could point a finger at someone and go, that bloke said a wrong thing. Like, could you sue someone? Should you be able to? I don't, I'm interested in your thoughts. There's no real case law or precedent around this at all. The idea that something could be written where no person did the writing is new. Yeah, but those instant answers typically crib from an existing written source. Like, it's not AI generating those responses. It is what they no, feel it, like. No, it's, it's a snippet of yeah. what they feel like is the top result. But yes, but they're not um, actually um, cribbing the exact. So the text that it quotes in the answer is often from the page, but the question it asks is generated by AI. It, it's not finding pages which have a question and an answer on them and lifting it out. It's reading. It's attempting to read the pages and generate questions from it. If it was literally just quoting a web page, then then the fault is with the person who wrote the incorrect web page. I agree with right. you completely on that, but yeah. that's but that's it's, not it's generating how it the is. question and connecting it to the source, right? Yes, is what the AI is doing. I'm trying to now Which get an instant Google answer thing. and cannot get one. <laughs> <laughs> right, but yeah, I, I, I'm interested in your. I don't know what you call it. Intuition, instant reaction. It's like, is this? Google's fault? Are we? And if it is, if we see some big case about this, is it going to be a big problem for things like your microcopy writer or stuff like that? Well, the, the timing of this question is is kind of interesting because you know, as we record this, there's been the whole like Alex Jones trial going on around defamation, and uh, I know defamation laws and libel laws are different in the US. I'm not entirely sure. I mean, they're much more stringent in the UK than they are over here. Um, but I don't know where this would sit in this because with with the Alex Jones things, I mean, it, it was very clear cut, right? It was him spurting lies on on Infowars. Yeah. So he was a he was the 
producer of the ink of, of the lies. Whereas in, like you say, in this case, it's a Google AI thing that's doing it, but it's pulling from another site. If a, uh, a bloke who spends a lot of other people's money on Rolexes says an incorrect, libelous, damaging thing on the television, then yes, he goes to prison for it. <laughs> but, um, Such but, a but, very but, specific reference. Uh, just, 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 just as an example I've plugged out of nowhere. So um, I, just, uh, I just Googled for what is community, and there's a bunch of questions which are almost nonsensical. What is community and example? What community means essay? What is the important of community? And then when you expand, what is the important of community? It's, it's quoted a paragraph from a page on betterup.com about the importance of community. So it's quoting a thing, but it's made up the question. That question is not in that page, at least partially because it's horrifically non-grammatical. But that's, I mean, it's writing the question. So you can imagine it writing a question like, who wrote the WannaCry ransomware? And then it quotes a thing underneath, and maybe the thing underneath says, uh, Marcus Hutchins, who was responsible for, um, uh, stopping the ransomware, but it's still who wrote it. And then this guy's name underneath it. If that was me, I'd still feel a bit aggrieved by it, even though they go, it technically doesn't say you wrote it. And libel cases have turned on quite a lot less than that. Right. So, right. so I was and, interested and I, in your I, I, thoughts. Well, and I guess as well, the other element to this is I would imagine, I don't know this at all if this is the case but i would imagine that in a defamation it sounds like the legal angle here will be defamation and in a defi- in a defamation case um probably one element that's evaluated is this guy what was his name again something hutchinson marcus hutchins um, marcus hutchins um if marcus hutchins wants to change that he'd have to reach out to the original website where that statement was made and ask them to change it. And he'd also have to reach out to Google and ask them to change the quick results thing. And, right? and, and that's, and if, that's if what both of those Google have removed that example, they say. But how many so more examples are there? And he's got a reasonably large pulpit to, to state this kind of thing from, right? Yeah. But how much more difficult was is thinking, it if you're like, not? A, he, I mean, he's not a tech luminary, but, you know, he's known. Yeah. How, how much harder but, is it? I'm I mean, guessing, you know what it's like. Um, half the people I know have had um, problems with their YouTube account being cut off or whatever. If you're CGP Grey and you go and ping the YouTube team, they'll listen. If you're some guy, you can't get through to anybody. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, and I imagine that one on element. Twitter, how do you get yeah, stuff fixed? Exactly. <clears throat> well, I imagine one element of this is like if you if you ask them to remove it and then they don't do it, and maybe if you ask them again and they don't do it, then that probably plays in favour of of the legal case. Um, but yeah, it's. Oh man, would you sue I, Google? I don't think I would. I'm like, hooray! I mean, they yeah, took that question. I had to give my house to a lawyer, though. No one wins there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean, I can't imagine there's any case law on this. So no, it's all too new, and that's what I mean. As we're seeing lots more AI, AI stuff go into, John, as you've said products and things quite a lot now rather than being for fun things like ai dungeon or a laugh but now people are yeah. actually productizing this and uh going uh so dally's quite cool now i have access to it but um but i've seen people do things like designing logos with it and i can see and we, we we talked about how i can i can absolutely imagine uh, a lot of stock photo libraries being to some extent replaced 
with this because instead of licensing a photo for 500 quid or whatever, um, you have AI generate 30 for you and then pick the best one. Yeah. Because it's cheaper, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm we'll going to go happens. and type woman <clears throat> laughing alone with salad into uh, Dali and see what it comes up with. <laughs> Put that in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that, that that was that was the thing. I was interested in your thoughts, so thank you. Yeah. What else have we got? We got anything else? Jeremy, have you got anything interesting you want to you dig into? I mean, I had a couple actual news stories if we want to <gasps> go oh in that direction. God. Go for it. Uh, a couple of Amazon-related ones I thought were a little bit interesting. The first is Amazon has been slashing their private label selection, which this is an area they got quite a bit of heat on over the last, especially year or so. Uh, so it says they started drastically reducing the number of items it sells under its own brand, and that's discussed the possibility of exiting the private label business entirely. Uh, to give you a little bit of a size of the scope here. Their private label business has 243,000 products currently. So it's quite a, a big area. And, and they got in trouble a few times recently. One of them, they say they don't use search data to inform which products they're billed. And it turns out in some regions they were doing that uh, and they were doing some other things that they got in trouble for. So curious if this is just to stem the tide of lawsuits they feel may or may not be coming as far as uh, regulation go, or if it's just wasn't as profitable as they hoped or something else. But Amazon Basics does a lot of stuff. The, the, the reason that they stayed was bad sales, wasn't it? Yeah. Whether you believe that or not is a separate question. Yes. <laughs> exactly. The thing I didn't realize is, uh, as you say, it's not just 243,000 products. It's across 45 different house brands. Yes. So I knew there's things like Amazon Basics, but I now think how many of the things that I might have bought are actually – an Amazon in-house brand. They just thought up a name for it. It's a surprisingly um, convincing trick. Just make up a name for a thing, and then it doesn't seem like a supermarket-owned brand or an Amazon-owned brand or something. I just go, oh, so I bought this um, this hard drive from TechWiz, and you've got no idea that it's an Amazon Basics hard drive, but they just thought up a logo. <laughs> what I don't understand about this as well is, I, so I didn't know about this. I thought it was just Amazon Basics, and that was it. No. Um, Shows how much I know. But also, I would have thought that if you're going to sell some crappy product, uh, <clears throat> that the Amazon brand would hold some strength to it. Like, why would you white label it into something? I'm guessing so they don't dilute the Amazon brand is the reason why. Well, the other um, possibilities, if you've got 45 brands, that might mean that the top 30 hits in the search are all actually you in a variety of false it's like the Procter and Gamble why do they have eight different detergents it's because some people are going to say yeah. Tide's the greatest and other people are going to say no that doesn't make any sense whatever That's Cheers the greatest like yeah they're all Procter and Gamble yeah, yeah. yeah. So if they just had one bowl with P&G detergent written on the front of it then they wouldn't sell anywhere near as much because you could yeah. swamp the whole market <laughs> and you get all the moolah at the end of it so yes yeah yeah it's a good point so I'm curious yeah. to see where this will go. But the other Amazon one is they are uh, attempting to acquire the maker of the Roomba iRobot for about $1.7 billion. One thing I think is – so before we get into the actual story, I think there's going to be a lot of bargain shopping done by entities that have a lot of cash. Like this deal represents about, I think, 31% of what iRobot was at its high at 1.7. So I think the cash-rich companies are going to be doing some shopping as, as some of this uh, stock market comes down. Uh, but the thing that's 
interesting here is you look at they just acquired one medical which is a, a healthcare provider in the US for those that that aren't aware of what they do uh, so now they have that they have this so Hang there's on, Amazon acquired Amazon acquired one medical yeah didn't know that okay so they have sure. your medical data they have all the data that you give them from prime they know everything you buy now they're uh, they have you know ring is amazon so they see outside your house and now they see inside your house with with roomba they are quietly becoming more they quietly are becoming a company that has even more data than google i think which i would have never ever ever thought yeah you'd imagine i, I could imagine bill gates sitting there reminiscing over those antitrust hearings yeah. <laughs> and thinking what the actual fuck dude if i just waited 20 years then everyone would go well there's not even any appetite to pursue this sort of thing you just go yeah it's all about ai and like data gathering and it's just fine yeah. now apparently they they <laughs> shipped a crap web browser <laughs> <laughs> yeah amazon get away with this stuff <laughs> i know it's just and all the companies who aren't amazon all their computers Oh, Amazon's PCs under the covers, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, AWS right. is ridi- isn't AWS ridiculously bigger than all the other cloud competition? No, it's it's quite large, yes. It's <laughs> massive, yeah. Yeah, it's uh... Amazon's been strategic though. They they tend to be acquiring companies where they can say, well, one medical is an example. All we have is Amazon Pharmacy. It's not nearly as big as any of our competitors. We're a very minor player, and that's how. Currently, that's how antitrust is looked at in the U.S. Is like, are you going to become the dominant player? Where yeah. I, I think that might change in the future because of acquisitions like this. They'll look at things more holistically at at an organizational level, not just at the, and the that's very narrow what I vertical. Area. Interesting that uh, it's all geared towards. We do not want a thing where this one thing that people want to buy can only be bought from this company. But the idea that you're this gargantuan conglomerate who has 40% of every single market, there doesn't seem to be a rule about that. Right. <laughs> and Amazon like very clearly is trying to get 1% of every transaction that ever happens on Earth, ever. Yeah. I mean, I, yes. I, I've i joked in the past about how everyone's business model looks like we do this thing, and then when everyone on Earth buys it, every time a dollar goes anywhere, we get two cents, and then we're good. But this is literally their plan. I can't believe it. I mean, they bought MGM. Yeah. <laughs> Which they released shows on Prime, which is the video portion is free. So they bought a com- <laughs> they bought an entity that large to give the content away. Yeah, eight point five billion dollars. It is fascinating, like seeing like when you think about it, you know MGM, Whole Foods, uh, One Medical. Like it does. It, it, it obviously it's not this, but it has the one could be f- f- could could be guilty of thinking that they're basically throwing darts at a dartboard with a bunch of logos on it but uh, clearly it's all part of their well but equally if you have infinite money you could just do that it's fine you know right. it's like we think that might be a good idea we'll just buy it if it doesn't work out whatever man we only lost 8.5 billion dollars <laughs> <So, Yeah. laughs> well, not buying twitter though interestingly <laughs> <laughs> well. even amazon are like no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I mean, do you wow. see there's actually going to be something done about this? I know, um, uh, uh, what's the name? Uh, Klobuchar, um, was going on, but, but specifically, you know, you said about the one medical thing. It's not about huge companies as a whole. Is there any appetite to do anything about this sort of thing? I mean, presumably you, you had this with things like, um, Marbell and Standard Oil and stuff, where they were hugely dominant. But was that because they were hugely dominant in one area? 
Right. I mean, you've got companies like Samsung have been kind of similar for years, right? I mean, they're involved in all kinds of stuff. These massive, like you said, conglomerates are in, you know, everything, not just appliances, right? But aren't they, they're, aren't they involved in like oil and industrial equipment and all oh, really? kinds of stuff? I was going to say they're involved in all sorts of electronic devices, but they're not buying a medical company. Yeah, but I now think maybe they I are. Think actually, I don't even know that. I say that like I know and I don't know at all. I think it's Samsung that um yeah they're like in all kinds of different things i'd have to look it up but um, i believe they are they're a giant holding company of which samsung electronics is just a small piece it's oh, just one oh, of yeah that's right yeah I, like chemicals I, I didn't know awesome. that i thought you know yeah, yeah so they're in loads of stuff like they do phones and tvs i didn't know they did oil and chemicals and stuff <laughs> yeah oh wow that's yeah good. okay cool yeah uh What's next? did did you see this? I thought this is quite interesting. So, um, a couple of VR related things here. God. So, first of all, <laughs> Apple. Can carry on flogging that dead horse. <laughs> I actually, I mean, I don't think VR is going to, I think VR is a joke, but, um, uh, Meta is sad with your approach. <laughs> They've <laughs> well, piped think- down an awful lot after doing it. But what we do is we just do the metaverse. Now that's it. Everything else is going away. And they've shut up quite a lot after the world went meh, whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. We'll see what happens. But apparently Apple are expecting to ship one and a half million VR AR units in 2023, which I thought was was interesting. I don't have any comparative data on... They're saying that they believe that this will ultimately replace the iPhone. Um, so I think our the bad voltage research department is almost certainly Googling this right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but they're, they're, they're thinking they're going to ship one and a half million VR AR, AR units next year, which I'm guessing that they will probably announce this at the Apple event that happens in summer, which, whichever one that is. Um, yeah, so uh, not WWDC, the other one. The other one, yeah. yeah. Um <laughs> Macworld, is it? Ma- I was going to say okay. Macworld, and then I thought, is it is that? It, but is whatever, it Macworld, yeah. or was that what it was 20 years ago? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is my concern, right? Whether they're going to announce the new 2CI. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but I think that's I think that's interesting that they're starting to set expectations around this. But what I found more interesting was um, there was on MIT Technology Review, there was an article. Now, I, I only skimmed through this because I, I was just – I found it this morning that um, – some research found that VR is as good as psychedelics for transcending, right? And the only reason why I find this interesting is that, and this is almost certainly because I live near Silicon Valley, but <laughs> there's been a lot of talk in the last. I get into six trouble months. when I say stuff like that. To you. No, no, you 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 have you have carte blanche uh, in this conversation. Uh, there's been a lot of talk in the last year or so around here around psychedelics and i remember two years ago i had a call with this guy emailed me who started a vc firm that's focused on psychedelics because apparently psychedelics are actually they're very very helpful for like ptsd and things like that um uh, but they've you know there's a lot of very positive research around the application of psychedelics in like a controlled setting um and he started this venture capital fund to try and like create the category of psychedelics you know essentially what's happened with weed but in psychedelics okay um and i just thought it was interesting that you know i mean for me personally i can't think of anything worse than tripping my balls on uh on on, on 
LSD or something like that. That's not what I would enjoy. But I've I've I keep meeting people with a motorcycle saying, oh, yeah. helmet on. In addition. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and that's why I thought it was interesting that I can imagine that there are a lot of people like me who were like, I don't like to be um, out of my head in that regard. Like, I don't mind being a bit drunk, but like beyond that, like tripping sounds horrible to me. Um, But I can imagine people wanting to get the benefits of being in that kind of transcendent state or whatever it is, and they are (laughs) being a tool for that. So I just thought it was fascinating. And, and this is not on, you know, like, you know, VR.biz. I mean, this is on the MIT technology. <laughs> right, okay. I was wondering if this is, you know, by the, um, the sort of thing which is exciting to the same sort of people who take Adderall every morning. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, so I, I don't know. I just think that the, the, the impact of VR on your psychological state, we all talk about VR as this thing that is a productivity change or like the metaverse or whatever. And we've thrown considerable amounts of shade towards VR in this regard. Uh, but we have. The idea that yes. VR, how it changes your psychological state, I think is fascinating. And Agreed. and terrifying as well. Yes. I, so, what yeah, do you guys no, think no, about I mean, it? I agree. No, I, I, that is interesting. Because a lot of the stuff that I think VR is important for is not actually VR at all. It's AR. Well, for yeah. which, as we've said repeatedly in the past, it needs not look like a great big face mask. Uh, it needs yes. to look like just a pair of glasses, and then you walk along. Yes. And sure, a whole bunch of the things you see are you walk past a shop and a million adverts appear, which is not necessarily a great use of it, but whatever. Um, that sort of same thing I can imagine using. Um, but playing basically the 2022 version of X Tank is one kind of vibe for the thing. But as you say, there are medical uses and stuff like that. That's potentially interesting, as well as the all the historical stuff about being able to look through the, the the manual for the machine you're working on, which has existed for years, right? Heads up displays and stuff. So yeah. th- it's it's potentially interesting. And Apple are heavily in on this. I hadn't heard the, they think it's going to be the next iPhone thing. Yeah. And uh, which will almost certainly, which will almost certainly be AR, AR. I cannot believe that VR will take over the iPhone. I mean, it can't. No. It can't be out. Different thing. Yes, right. Almost. I mean, you can't, like, yeah, you can't be on a bus with a VR headset on. Uh, I mean, but the other thing is, I think um, we're currently drawing a distinction between AR and VR, where the distinction appears to be approximately that with VR, all you can see is what's on the screen, and with AR, it's augmenting what you can see with your eyes. But I wonder if that's quite a um, quite a gross distinction, and it could be a lot more. Uh, 10 or 15 years from now, I can imagine there's not just a is this a fully computer-generated landscape or is it not? In the same way that, like, there was CGI in films, right? Uh, and you had films which were entirely computer-generated and films which were entirely real actors. And now, an awful lot of films have some measure of visual effects, some measure yes. of computer-generated imagery. They're not the same thing. They blended into real films. They used to augment the storytelling, not be yeah. the story. And I suspect it will get a lot more nuanced as we go on. And this distinction between is this AR or is it VR will sort of fall away. Right. Well, the big challenge in my mind as well that nobody seems to be talking about is let's spot the AR fanatics that you can have a pair of glasses like the ones I'm wearing right now. And the battery lasts as long as an iPhone battery will last. And about two hours. 
Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but much and, like and it I like my iPhone, and I appreciate I have the mini, so I bought this on myself. The battery life's not fabulous. And I've only had it five oh, minutes. Amazing on the Max. <laughs> but then again, it's massive. That's yeah, because it's enormous. Um, yeah. And the, and the yeah. technology's not any different. You've literally got two things different to my phone. It's got a bigger screen. Yes. And a bigger battery. And a big, big battery. <laughs> Other than that, it's exactly. just it's just a mini with a bigger screen, <laughs> and all the rest of the room behind the screen filled up with battery, which is why it lasts. I think. I think. I think there is some irrelevant camera detail as uh, well. There, there, there's camera stuff on the Pro, which is better. Which, but uh, but I cares? looked at the difference like, between the mini and the ordinary, and all right, there's literally no technological difference at all yeah. apart from the screen. Um, <laughs> but to me, the cha- the question is like the in- is is it the interaction like you know with with a phone. It's very easy to interact with it. You tap it with your finger and you can use an on screen. We've got used to on screen keyboards now. But if, mm. if I, if I'm now got, got a pair of glasses and I don't have a phone with me anymore, how do I interact with it? And this whole idea of hand gestures, I, there's going to have to be a lot of work in hand gestures to make that work. And then you've got no tactile feedback with hand gestures as well, which I mean, we've been I, talking about for years. Yeah. I quite like the hand gestures thing, basically, because it will feel like you're casting a spell. And I'm in favor of this. <laughs> <laughs> this is some Harry Potter fan fiction yeah, that is finally yeah, totally, going to live I go like this or something, and, and then it shows me everyone who's around me. That'd be wicked. Right? I'm well in favor of that. But um, <laughs> and one of the interesting things about that is... One good way to find out what would be good is to look at science fiction because you, the, you know, that we've got 50 years of people, a uh, hundred years of people attempting to predict this stuff, right? So you look at, um, they're allowed to assume a world in which this stuff exists because you don't want to do a story about how AR glasses got built. You want to do a story where you just assume these things are in place and then use them to serve the story. So how do characters in sci-fi communicate with the, uh, orbiting mind control computer or whatever and there's uh voice stuff which is problematic out in the real world because you don't want to walk along talking to yourself because people think you've got a bluetooth headset and you're a knob end um a lot of people <laughs> seem to assume that there's a thing called sub vocalizing where you can speak a thing but not out loud and the thing can pick it up but i don't know whether this is real or whether it's a thing they've made up for sci-fi you know like, Sort of the opposite of bone conduction microphones. Also, you are going to sound like a lunatic. If I if I'm walking along and I'm like <laughs> <laughs> doing brass band imitation while everyone on the tube carriage is doing it. That was um, quite good. Um and then you've got it reading your thoughts, which is pure science fiction, as far as I can tell. I mean, you know, modulo Musk's Neuralink thing. Um Short yeah. of that working, which uh, my view on that has not changed since we did a show about it, which is that it's rubbish, <laughs> abject yeah. rubbish, nonsense. Um, and other than that, yeah. you've got things like hand gestures, and you can imagine hand gestures being quite small. And then you've got people doing stuff which you could approximate now. Like, um, do you remember there used to be a thing which would project a keyboard onto a table in sort of red infrared light, and yeah. you could type on it? It was terrible. That's existed for years awful. and years and years, but. The idea of sort of typing with your hands on your leg or something like that. And then you can, so you can see a keyboard in front of you. But what that means is instead of interacting with it like an iPhone, you're interacting with it like trying to type your name in on a PlayStation. It's really annoying. Yeah. Yeah. And I've not, I've not even seen anything, even in sci-fi books, which seems like a plausible thing to build other than 
these glasses not only containing enough battery to run for the whole day and perfect cameras that project onto my retina at the right focal length, but they also contain an fMRI machine, which I don't think they're gonna. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I imagine that Apple's approach, at least initially, will be that it's less that it's going to replace the iPhone and it's more that it's going to replace the i at the Apple Watch. Well, it's and it's good, which be I can see, a, like having um, information available that you can see and you interact with simple yeah. gestures like a watch. I get that. It's but, gonna it's gonna be a peripheral device to your iPhone in the same way that the watch is, right? Hmm. But this yeah. notion that they've got of it'll replace the iPhone just seems like horseshit to me because I, yeah, how do you like how do you reasonably on your iPhone today you can type out an email and um and there's many different types of interaction that's going to be very difficult to do without a keyboard. Uh, I mean, you could you could say it, but we don't. The way we write is not how we talk. <laughs> well, right. well, well, no, but equally, anyone who transcribes one of our podcasts is a good example. <laughs> of that. I I've been quite surprised at people who use Siri to write emails to people. Do people do really? that? Your wife does it, John O'Bacon. What? I've I've seen it. Well, they normally short messages, not like a formal email to a lawyer she or does something. Text messages. Yeah, mm. I don't know. I don't know. I I used to do that with my Google. I never used uh, Siri. And I we don't get on. No, I, I I don't I don't use Siri at all. But um, I use the Echo all the time. So I mean, it, I can imagine that being plausible. So it's a bit of a problem for public areas when you're surrounded by people. But there aren't actually that many public areas where you can um sort of type stuff anyway. Things like the the if you're in a tube carriage. Or something, but if you were talking to your device in the back of a taxi, that would be fine. And it's not like you could type while you're walking either, or you can try. But what happens is you bang into a car, in my experience. So that's <laughs> so. This maybe the answer is voice control. Yeah, we'll see. But that I mean, voice control is good for entering characters. But I mean, uh, there's other types of interaction that we have. Like, how are you going to select user interface elements in the AR? Is, for example, is one thing I'm curious about. Well, I can and, well, um, I can imagine changing where you look. That seems like a a doable thing. Well, the thing needs to know where you're looking. Yeah. So if you yeah. can do that, then you can imagine, you know, two blinks starts a command and then you look at a thing or something. That doesn't seem beyond the wit of man to work out. Right. And I'm sure there's a lot of academic research on this sort of thing. Yeah, we'll see. Well, it's going to get very interesting because over the next couple of years, we're going to start seeing this unfolding, especially with Apple. Yeah, uh, I mean the AR thing. I think they're they're not pr- pr- uh, the all the leakers are expecting that it's the AR thing is probably not going to happen until twenty twenty four, twenty twenty five. Um, so next yeah. year will be the the VR thing. We may even see potentially the VR thing announced this year, but we'll see. Are, are you, in the spirit of buy in the spirit of all of my predictions being wrong, yeah, uh, everything you say everything you say about VR year. is incorrect. I suspect what's happened is. Um, Apple are now listening to this podcast, listening to you talk about Obviously, their headset, yeah. and they've gone, now, we have to scrap the project now, because Jono thinks it might be all right, which means he's wrong. <laughs> are you going to buy hope one? Hope springs eternal. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you going to buy one, Jono? Uh, I'm almost certainly not going to buy the VR one. Um, okay. I think if the, if, the AR he- if the AR glasses... If they look like normal glasses and not like Google Glass, um, <laughs> and if if they have the utility of a what of the of my Apple Watch, then I'll probably buy them. And if I can put mm. prescription lenses in, which you, you'll almost certainly have to be able to do, you will. Um, you will need I, to I'll be probably able to buy do, yeah. them. Um, but 
you know, it's weird, isn't it? Because like, I, I, one thing I've been thinking about recently is, you know, it's, inf- it's interesting how information um, becomes more or less relevant in the depending on where it is, right? So, for example, I struggled with um, Android watches. They were perfectly good watches, but for some reason, the Apple Watch works for me. Um, it's just the right balance of whatever it is. I don't think I've changed significantly. Um, and I'll be curious to see how information being presented to me in AR, how useful that is. But I can absolutely imagine it. But uh, if I've got a if I've got to look like I'm doing the Macarena every time I want to send a text message, then I'm not going to buy one. <laughs> Man, that's going to be cool. Just, you know, you'll be. So you're going to buy one. Yeah. Um. Uh, if someone comes up with a thing which can do gestures to control it, I'll be interested in that just because I think that's wicked. You know, you some guy walking down the street in a suit and they'll stop and go, Expelliarmus, and throw his arms out like this. Right? That'd be sweet. Yeah. Um, but- My hope is that if they do, if they do it, that they, if they have to have a gesture language, that the gesture language is sign language. Because if, 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 if mm. we can help the whole world to learn sign language, it's going to help a lot of deaf people out. Oh, we just teach everyone BSL and ASL. Oh, that's, I hadn't even thought of that. I mean, I suspect it probably wouldn't be because that's yeah. designed to be seen by someone else. But I imagine exactly, it's more yeah. like, do you remember Google had a thing called Soli, where it was a little tiny no. sort of local radar thing and you could do little gestures like rubbing your fingers together next to it and that, and it read that as sort of winding forward and winding back. Oh yeah, it was like one Nexus phone had it. Yeah, yeah, they 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 made this thing, and there yeah. were sort of videos, and I thought, wow, that's cool. And then it just kind of went away. But I don't know whether it went away because they couldn't make it work right or what. But stuff like that, I can imagine being a thing, and I suspect I can imagine this sort of thing working better on a device like an iPod where you've only got limited interactions to begin with, rather yes. than something like a phone where the whole point is it's a completely general-purpose computer. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, and the other thing as well, which we haven't talked about when it comes to AI, is what about the billion-dollar mobile games market? What happens to that if the quote-unquote iPhone goes away and it's all AR? I mean, Everyone I just, a, a King just poured Candy Crush Soda to it. That doesn't seem hard. i just i i just don't buy it like i just i think we're always gonna have phones and i think it'll be like an apple watch i just i do i'm not convinced it's gonna replace it but then again me and pure predictions again we don't have a happy uh, (laughs) it is gonna be interesting over the next i don't think we're gonna see something that we'd think was good for five Seems years like it's been so. five we'll years away like, for oh, so long. I can see long, how that though. might be good, and maybe I'll buy it anyway, because it'll be entertaining to play with. Oh, uh, forever. Yeah. Yeah, 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 VR. This is the year of the Linux desktop. This is the year <laughs> of the AR headset. This is the year of the canonical IPO. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Man, you know we're doing predictions in August. We'll do them twice a year and still be wrong every time. <laughs> <laughs> Wicked. Okay, so... Um, we. Coming, coming towards have, the end, but is there anything else you wanted yeah. to bring up? I think that's about it, isn't it? I, I had a brief one, which I thought was cool. Um, yeah. So, you know, um, Chrome will let you translate web pages. Yes. So the way it does that is it ships it off to a Google API in the cloud. 
Firefox wanted to do the same thing, but they didn't want to run it as an API because there's a whole bunch of privacy implications to... I mean, obviously, it's uh, voluntary. You're choosing to have the thing translated, but nonetheless. Um, yeah. And because Google have an infinite amount of money and PCs plugged into a network and Mozilla don't. So uh, they built a thing called... Uh, or I don't know whether they actually built it or whether the Bergamo project built it and Firefox has just added it. But it does uh, machine translation on web pages completely locally on device. Oh, that's cool. Uh, it is really cool. It's just a Firefox add-on. Um, and I installed it. And as far as I can tell, it's great. It only, it, it does, um, the number of languages they do is quite a lot more limited than Google's uh, Translate at the moment. But they are doing, um, and it does language pairs. So it'll translate from X to Y. So, yep. um, so most of the pairs involve English. So you can do English to German, English to, oh, sorry, German to English, German, uh, um, French to English and so on. Right. But I don't, uh, but it's quite possible that you can't do French to German. For example. Well, so long as they've got English, French, and Spanish, then they're going well, to cover most of the world, well, aren't they? <laughs> to, to be honest with you, <laughs> so. I've, I found it really useful. I just installed it uh, in Firefox, and then when I hit a page, it's not in English, it pops up the little bar at the top, just like Chrome does. It says, do you want to translate the page? I say, yes, it does it. And it's all completely local. I was just That's very, cool. I was just very busy. So browser.mt is the, uh, the, wow. website, the website for it, but it's just Firefox add-on, so you can just get it from the Firefox add-ons store. I just thought well, that was really that- cool. I want to give him a big thumbs up. Uh, stuff like that encourages me because it proves that you don't necessarily need to just wire up a cloud API for all of this stuff. And so, sure, some things you do, but Google stuff tends to be thought of in terms of, well, we do all this processing in the cloud, but it doesn't have to be. And I like seeing Firefox yep. forging a path that proves that that isn't always necessary. So yeah, yeah um, uh, if, if you use Firefox, install the extension. If you don't use Firefox, then use Firefox. <laughs> I used that uh, translation thing yesterday when I bought uh, a bunch of Wacken open air tickets ah, for next year. Nice. Yes. Well, I, I and, feel quite fearful about using it on like things where I had to type my credit card number in or whatever in case it, I get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. So, all right, cool. Uh, I think that's it, isn't it? Uh, I don't know. I've got nothing to say. Should just uh, a stop very recording? bad voltage yeah, just, just Stop. <laughs> just I switch it out. The, the show just poof, ends. <laughs> yeah. Well, we do have to thank, of course, our friend Marius Quabeck for uh, editing the show from NerdZoom Media. Thank you again, Marius, for all of the great work making us sound as uh, as as velvety as as we look, as as, um, as, as fabulous as possible. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, and then I and yeah, and definitely go and uh, in the spirit of mad shit on the internet, go and share it with us. Your mad shit that you've seen, whether it's the Floppatron or the Doom running on a fifteen dollar IKEA lamp. Let us know other cool things that you've seen in our community. Go to the Slack channel. Let us know yeah. which cool stuff you've seen just crazy because that they're always fun to share yeah, so send us a tweet and we're all off to listen to compressor head play the ace of spades <laughs> yes all right peace out everyone <laughs> <laughs>